Keep in mind, back to our study here, that these are the last words of the Apostle Paul that he would write, or at least that we have recorded in the New Testament. Uh, the second letter to Timothy, as you know, would be written right before Paul is going to face the axemen. And this is Paul's last will and testament to his son Timothy before he is martyred for his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's in a dungeon in Rome right now. And as he is writing, of course, this is all inspired by the Spirit of God. He is encouraging Timothy, who Paul calls my beloved son. Paul and Timothy had a very special bond between them that can only be found in the Lord. And Paul has been encouraging him in his walk with the Lord and in his ministry to the Lord. And so, Father, as we continue through this epistle, this letter is for us as well. And I pray that we would be attentive, that, Lord, that these things would stir our hearts. And, and Lord, uh, as Paul begins to tell us what is the character of culture and, and society among men, and, Lord, uh, that we would look at it and we would learn that there is counterfeits out there. There is uh, danger out there in perilous times. Again, not to uh, do un, uh, just a heavy burden to us, but to make us wise in the day in which we're living in. So help us be attentive to these things. Um, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Timothy, he is told, never be ashamed of the gospel, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. Make sure that you hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. And Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That was chapter 2 as we moved into that chapter. And, and you be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who need not be ashamed. All these instructions and exhortations to Timothy, and as I've already mentioned, they're for us today. And being that faithful, diligent, dedicated Christian. This is how you are to conduct yourself. This is what you are to be about. And so Paul continues writing to Timothy as we move into chapter 3. As we end it last week, remember Paul had been talking about false teachers, those who bring in profane and useless chatter, those who bring uh, division. Uh, in a great house, uh, he begins to write, that you have vessels of honor sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So what you do is don't be that vessel of dishonor, but you avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. They just create strife. And, and be a servant that is gentle, able to teach, be patient, and in humility bring in correction. So that's where we have been so far in the first couple chapters of this epistle. Now moving into chapter 3, verse 1, we read, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. So Timothy, know this. In other words, uh, Paul's saying this is important. This is important for you. Comprehend this. Make sure that you understand this. That in the last days, and what is meant by the last days, that time right before the, the rapture of the church, the appearing of our Lord. Now remember that the early Christians, they held to the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We see that very clearly in the New Testament. Of the 27 books of the New Testament, 
23 of those books mention the return of the Lord, to be waiting for the Lord, that the, the, the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so they were looking for the Lord's return, even as we are to be looking for the return of the Lord in the day in which we are living in. So many Bible scholars believe that this term, last days here, includes that entire period of time between the first century and, and the return of Jesus. But we are to understand that as we, we get closer to the return of the Lord, and we're 2,000 years closer, that I do believe that we are indeed in the last days. But there's another term that Paul has used in his epistles uh, to Timothy, in 1 Timothy, latter days or latter times. And I believe that we're in the latter days, the latter times, that those days right before the return of the Lord. Because as we talk about the prophetic scenario uh, that the Lord tells us about the signs and the seasons that point to his soon return, we've talked about it on Wednesday night last year going through the book of Revelation, and we talked about it on our New Year's Eve prophecy update, and we are told in Scripture that we're to discern the times in which we are living in. And matter of fact, the message that I did was the church discerning the times or ignoring the times. And if you didn't listen to that teaching, I would encourage you to, to listen to it because it's very important for us as Christians, especially in the day in which we are living in, to be discerning the, the times in which we are in. And many churches and many Christians are ignoring that. They're not talking about the return of the Lord. They won't teach on the rapture of the church. They won't even touch those subjects. So Jesus, we know, would rebuke the religious leaders of his day. Of course, it would be Christmas Eve that, that I, I mentioned how the religious leaders, when Herod had summons for them, and where's this ruler that the wise men are looking to go and worship? Where is he supposed to be born, this ruler of yours, this Messiah? And they quote it from Micah chapter 5, verse 2 in Bethlehem. But what intrigues me is those religious leaders who knew the scriptures and, and they were expecting the Messiah to come would not even travel 10 miles to go to Bethlehem to check it out. And so Jesus, in his ministry, would rebuke them. He said, you can discern the face of the sky or the weather that is coming, but not discern the signs of the time. And as you look at the description of the times and events surrounding the last days, you can see, or at least I conclude, that we are nigh to the Lord's return. We don't know the day or the hour, but we are to be wise and discerning. And as we go through this section of 2 Timothy, he lists 19 general characteristics of what people will be like. You, you will see that it's a general description of people today in our culture, in our society. Now, Paul has already written to Timothy, as I've made brief mention of it, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And as we discussed when we covered that text, that I believe that we do see more and more deception that is out there, and it's coming into the church. There's a lot of worldly philosophy that people embrace, and there is false doctrine that has crept into the church more and more, and Satan and his demons are behind all of that because he's the father of lies that can transform himself into an angel of light. 
So one of the signs of the last days is that there will be much deception that is around us, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we see that clearly today. And now the Lord tells us more information about the, the last days, uh, as Paul's writing to Timothy, that we are to know that it will be perilous times, or what it means is dangerous, difficult days. It's going to be very difficult. It's going to be very dangerous. So this applies to us to where all of these things that we will read about as we read about these characteristics and we're going to cover it fairly quickly we could spend the next couple months on this section but it's all building up like signs of the end times like birth pangs uh, this it, it continues to as he will say later on evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse these things that we read about speak of the behavior and the conduct of man. And it's going to intensify or increase in intensity as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And it will make for us dangerous, perilous times that we are living in. So there is this warning that the days which we are in, that they are perilous. And there is a description of these days that characterize the attitudes and behavior of men. And, and then there will be this insert in verses 5 through 9 that we'll cover that tells us about their spiritual lacking and for us to turn away from such. It's an extremely important exhortation to the church. Verse 1, know this, that is continually know this. And then verse 5, turn away continually be turning away and in between in verses 2 through 4 we will read that he will use the word love five times and, and what we are shown here as we read this is how culture in our society will have this love that is very worldly is very selfish love it's not a godly love a scribe came to Jesus you know and asked them, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great Shema. And you're to love others. And here we will see that men will be lovers of self. And they will be lovers of pleasure. That is the bookends. Those two things, the bookends to all that we're going to read about in verses 2 through 4. And there is this misdirected love. Not loving God but loving self and loving worldly pleasure and the attitudes and behavior of men, well, we're going to see here. Listen, this is dealing with the heart of men in the day in which we're living in. Remember that Solomon wrote in Proverbs that out of the heart flows the issues of life. So know this, it's going to be perilous times. You need to understand this. This is important for us. For men, verse 2, will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away there in verse 5. And it intrigues me that we see that in the last days it will be perilous times, not might or it could be, it will be. And it will be very difficult and dangerous. Why? 
And you would perhaps think that Paul would say because of famine or because of disease or because of pestilence or because of war, some other calamity that would be listed. Now, we are told Jesus in Olivet Discourse in Matthew, Mark, and Luke tells us that the signs of his coming like birth pangs and he lists pestilence and he lists famine and he talks about war and other calamities we we talked about those things again as we talked in, in those and looked at those chapters 6 through 18 of the book of revelation that speaks of the tribulation period all those signs the birth pangs will culminate the wars the famines the calamities all the other things will culminate in the tribulation period. But it's interesting here that the Bible says that it will be perilous because of the wicked and depraved ways of men. The word perilous is used only one other time in the New Testament. And that's in Matthew chapter 8. And I know that I've spoken on this before. But in Matthew chapter 8, I'm going to read it to you in verse 28. When Matthew is describing the demoniacs in the area of the Gadarenes, and when they had come to the other side, the country of the Gadarenes, there met him, that is Jesus, two demon-possessed men, coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, that's our word there, perilous, same Greek word, so that no one could pass by them. So the word means fierce. Uh, Paul is using that same word. The two demoniacs that lived in tombs on the, the east side of the Sea of Galilee, they were shackled as you read the story. Uh, they pulled the shackles apart. They were crying out day and night. They were cutting themselves. And they were so violent that people were afraid to pass by. Uh, they wouldn't even go in that area. And when we were there just a couple months ago, we were watching the sun go down in that area of the Gadarenes. And you go on the east side, and there's one place where there's a kind of a cliff. It's the only cliff that is there in the area of the Gadarenes or the east side of the Sea of Galilee. So that's very likely where the herd of swine that the demons went into ran off the cliff and into the Sea of Galilee it was probably in that area. And you look behind you and you see the tombs up in, in the hills there. And, and can you imagine, and, and standing there, I was pointing to the group, right over there is Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And when those guys went fishing at night, it's very peaceful, it's very quiet. But you know how sound travels and bounces on the water. Can you imagine they're out there and they're hearing those demoniacs crying out at night? How scary that would be. Paul's telling us that these days are going to be fierce, and we see that today, don't we? Antagonistic, not wanting us to pass by the right way, to put fear into us. That is our sense here. And that's what the last days will be like. And it's going to get worse, build uh, part of the signs which are birth pangs. Uh, not just fierce times, but it's fierce people in the times in which we are in. And, and you've heard me say this, that, that sometimes we think, well, things are falling apart. Well, as we look at the Bible and see what our culture is like and, and the you know, hearts of people and all the signs, I say things are falling into place. And these things are written for us so that we can be wise in the day in which we're living in. And, and we know that it's going to be perilous times. Why? Because men will be, first of all, lovers of self, as we read in verse 2. If there's ever an age where men and women are encouraged to love themselves, we live in that age. 
Now we need to keep in mind what does it mean to be to, to you know when we talk about self-esteem. Uh, self-esteem means your focus on self. You know you are you know self is enthroned on your heart. The Bible says that we are to die to self, and I do not believe that you and I as Christians are to walk around like gloomy Eeyore of Winnie the Pooh, going, "Oh, poor is me," and you know I hate myself and all of that. That's not what being a Christian is about. What it means when we die to self is that we exalt God. And we deny ourselves, we humble ourselves, and we glorify God, and we're dependent on God because we're all sinners in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's realizing that I am valuable to him. Please don't ever forget that. That you are so special and loved by God that he sent his son to die for you, specifically an individual, and to save you and give you real purpose in life, to be a son and daughter of the living God. And the Bible says you're a special treasure to him. David wrote in Psalm 138 that his thoughts towards you are continual. You can't even count them. You are valuable to the Lord. And you see, sometimes when we go through life and we go through hardships and difficulties or you go through just a hard life and loss and stuff, we think, God, do you love me? He loves you. And you are special to him. So much so he sent his son for you. So it's not look how great I am, but how great you are, Lord. But men will be lovers of themselves. Secondly, men will not only be lovers of self, but lovers of money. And, you know, mankind has always loved money. Man has always pursued riches. I, I believe it's the reason why the prosperity message of the church has been so popular and received in the church so readily. It's not sinful to be rich, as we talked about. And, but one of the things that we need to be careful is Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So that's where the problem is, is when we make it a priority and we're just pursuing it. And Jesus says, store up your treasure in heaven. Uh, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, if your treasure is just in desiring and pursuing riches and, and all of this, and look at, you think about it, how many people buy lottery tickets to hopefully, and lotto tickets and all that, I'm going to win the jackpot. I'm going to become wealthy. Or fall into scams that, that talk, you know, somebody calls you up and, and says you've won this money. And, and all the other things, the casinos that continue to grow so people can go and gamble. Love the Lord. And if your treasure is just in desiring to be rich, the stock market and your portfolio, guess where your heart's going to be. When Jesus in Luke chapter 16 told that parable of the unjust steward, uh, the Pharisees were listening. And Luke inserts that the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard Jesus and they derided him. In other words, they mocked him. They ridiculed him. They showed contempt towards him. And that's what we see today. When we go through the book of Jeremiah, we're going to see that the leaders were ones that had a love for riches. They were full of covetousness and all of this. So men will be lovers of, of money. They will be boasters and proud. We see today that many like to boast and are full of pride. 
it's the me society we live in. Look at my accomplishments. Look what I've done. See my talents. And it's very apparent, isn't it? It's apparent with sports, you know, celebrities and movie stars and music celebrities. And unfortunately, it has crept into the church. And I think that the term celebrity pastor and celebrity Christian, that is so unfortunate. And it ought not to be because we're all servants. And the foot of the cross is flat. And it is Paul, you remember in Romans chapter 12, when we went through the book of Romans last year, that he says that you're to present yourself as a living sacrifice. And the first thing that he says how you do that is that you don't think too highly of yourself. And being proud can happen to any of us. We need to always be ones that we need to be careful in that. And guard against it because pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And as a church, we need to guard against that. It's a terrible sin. It's what caused Lucifer to fall and become Satan. As you continue in the list, verse 2, men will be blasphemers. We see that more and more. Those who blaspheme the name of God, disobedient to parents. We see that certainly that's true today. In many homes, discipline is non-existent. And what we see, kind of the attitude of culture, and it comes from Hollywood and, and everything, is that mom and dad are dumb and kids know what is best. And, and parental authority is diminishing and parental rights is diminishing in our culture today. The world's, you know, and man's philosophy is don't be authoritative parents with your kids. Let them explore. Let them make up their own mind. Even though they're three years old, let them be open and experiment and you don't have to be protective. You know you better be protective in the day in which we're living in. You don't have to discipline. This is the war we're facing. And we know that Proverbs talks about raising our children in the ways of the Lord. And all of scripture does. And, and, and disciplining our kids because we love them. And he who loves him, you know, uh, your son, your daughter, disciplines them promptly. Uh, the scripture talks about firm, appropriate, corrective discipline for our children. And without it, our, our children will rebel against us as parents. But more importantly, against the Lord and against his righteousness. The Father disciplines us, the book of Hebrews. Why? Because of his love for us. And also what will be prevalent in the last days, people will be unthankful. And we certainly see that today. God's word tells us that we're people that we are to be thankful. We live in a culture of entitlements. Having gratitude for the Lord's blessing and provision is what our hearts are to be about. And we can easily become unthankful. And what that does is it leads to discontent. I won't be happy unless I have more of this or that or, you know, uh, have this job or whatever. And when we're unhappy and discontent, it creates all kinds of problems for us personally, spiritually. It robs us of our joy. We murmur and complain. We, we, you know, have problems with relationships with others. And we see those kinds of things all around us in our society. All because we become ungrateful and unthankful. And verse 2 ends with unholy, which means that there is a disrespect for that which should be sacred. Unloving, verse 3, if you have a King James, it reads without natural affection. It means literally without family love and we read too often don't we about how the fathers are missing in the family 
More and more grandparents are raising their kids because, you know, the, the parents can't do it. Um, certainly basic family love is lacking in our society. The divorce rate continues to be high. Family is fractured. I'm so thankful that we have the forgiveness of the Lord and the help of the Lord. But we see it continually be a problem. Men will be unthankful, unholy, unloving, then unforgiving. People today hold grudges, and they're not interested in reconciliation and forgiving, but persecuting and getting back. And, of course, God's word tells us that we've been forgiven, and we are to forgive others. Verse 3 goes on to say, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, uh, despisers of good. People today slander and try to hurt others for their own advancement and gain. Uh, we know that there are people today that are out of control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. But people are out of control with their behavior and conduct. They cannot restrain their lusts and passions. They have no boundaries is what it means. Having little self-discipline. They answer to no one. Cruelty is, it, it will be brutal and is one of the marks of our society today. Thousands of people are brutally murdered in our nation yearly. In 2018, 15,500 people murdered in the United States. Men will be despisers of good. They will have no concern for what is to be right and good. In verse 4, traitors and headstrong and haughty and lovers of pleasure rather or instead of lovers of God. Traitor means that there's no loyalties. The context that 2 Timothy was written, it means betraying believers to those who persecute. Headstrong. You know what that means. Sometimes we say, my child is headstrong. Well, it means plunging ahead in your actions with no thought to the consequences. Haughty means someone who is blinded by pride and arrogance. No one can tell them what to do, for they know it all already. And then number 18 on the list here is lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. People love pleasure today, but what it does is that it leads to eventual disappointment. So people think, okay, I've been there, I've done that, now what? I've got to do something bigger and better and different and faster and further in order to have more pleasure. Listen, if you want ultimate pleasure... Live for God. If you really want to live life in, in, in a wonderful way, live for him. Because David wrote in Psalm 16, At your right hands are pleasures evermore. In verse 5, Having a form of godliness but denying his power, and from such people turn away. There are those who will pass themselves on as being religious or godly, but they know nothing about the power of the Holy Spirit, the true gospel message. They don't hold to the sufficiency and the authority of the Word of God. They kind of pick and choose. You know, salad bar religion is what it's called. Pick and choose what you want. They pass themselves on as being spiritual and being godly, uh, but they don't really believe what the Lord says to them. Jesus said, why do you say you love me and not keep my commandments? Paul says, turn away from such. There were all those false teachers and others coming into the church that we've already discussed in detail how Paul tells Timothy, you're going to have to deal with them. Paul always talked about and wrote about how the gospel has the power to save, transform, the power of the Holy Spirit to, to change our lives, to give us the power to live for him to set us free. And then we're going to see later in the chapter, he's going to talk about there's power in the word of God. 
And verse 6, for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There are those who have a form of godliness but deny its powers, will try to creep into your home and, and talk to those who are gullible and vulnerable. Now, it isn't just, you know, Paul here picking on you ladies, not at all. He's not saying that women are just so gullible. But what he is addressing is the specific problems in Ephesus in Timothy's day that these false teachers would come along. And, and there's all kinds of ways that, that this can come into our homes today. It comes through the computer, the internet, social media, YouTube videos. If, if it's packaged right, people will believe anything that sounds good today. And these false teachers would prey on those who are at home, and it would be mostly the women at home. And it's really a term used for those, whether men or women, who are gullible. They are easily deceived. They are taken captive. These individuals that make their way into homes, creep their way in, worm their way in to people's homes and lives, deceive those who are gullible. But listen, they're loaded down with sins and led away by various lusts. We know that a growing trend in, in some denominations and even independents today, uh, churches today, is those who hold and teach a progressive theology. They say that the Bible is still evolving and, and, and we have a progressive theology. It's a huge movement in some circles of the church. Just live and do whatever you want as a Christian. Live any way you want, any lifestyle that you want. There's no sinful lifestyle. And those who tell you that there is, they are wrong and judgmental and all of that. You just love people and that's what saves you. And the cross is offensive to them. And the message of repent and turn to Jesus is offensive to them. We're lovers of God, they claim. And verse 7, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There will be those that have this form of godliness, always learning. They write the blogs, they have the books, they have schools, seminaries. They are philosophical, but they don't know the knowledge of the truth. They speak of Jesus, but they're not followers of Jesus. And then in verse 8, now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so those also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. So who's Janus and Jambres? Well, we know they were in in Moses' time, they're not mentioned in the Bible. This is the only time their specific names are mentioned here. If you watch the old Ten Commandments movie, you know, Charlton Heston, Yul Brenner, you, you know, some of us that seen that. Remember when, when Moses goes and, and says to Pharaoh or Yul Brenner, thus says the Lord, let my people go, and he throws the staff down and turns into a snake. Yul Brenner yells out, Janice, Jambres, come out here, you know. So in the movie, it could be them, but we don't know for sure. But whoever they were, they resisted the truth. They would work miracles and counterfeit, but it's according to the power of Satan, not of God. They are corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith. Remember in the previous chapter, we were told that we're to present ourselves to prove to God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We know that in the last days that the Antichrist and the false prophet will come along and deceive many with lying signs and wonders. 
And they did these things, Janus and Jambres, to resist the message that God had through Moses. And that was, let my people go, thus says the Lord. And the Lord has spoken to our generation through his word that there are imposters and counterfeits that are very intelligent. They're very charismatic. They're very, you know, uh, much ones that are great orators, great personalities. And they are standing against that truth of repent and turn to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. And they are holding people captive by their deceptive message and their religiosity. This is real stuff. And I don't think I need to tell you that there is a war against biblical values and truth. And there are those who are coming against and resist the truth. And they have a large following. And Paul's going to say they're going to get worse and worse. But verse 9, before we get there. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs was also. It's like Paul is saying, there's going to be a line in the sand that the Lord has drawn. And these guys will go no further. And a day will come where he will deal with them. But in the meantime, know this, Timothy, that it's perilous days, these last days that we're in. So, Father, as we consider these things... I do pray that we would be wise in, in this year and the days ahead, uh, the things that are around us. They speak of, of what the Bible says is going to happen. So, Lord, we want to be careful that we stay true to the word. And, and even as Paul's going to exhort Timothy, you must continue in the scriptures. And, Father, I do pray that, um, Lord, in this new year that we would be wise. And Lord, that we would be discerning in the days in which we're living in. And we thank you for the coming of Jesus. And we thank you that he promised he's going to come back again. But in the meantime, as we occupy till you come, Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. Our hope is in you. It's not in this world. And Lord, as we come to the communion table now, I pray that, Lord, as we hold the elements that we would just have a continued attitude of worship and, Lord, thanksgiving to you for what Jesus has done for us and allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin in this new covenant that we've entered into. We come together as one body, as, as Lord, uh, we don't ever want to forget your loving son who went to the cross for us and what he has done for us. So that should give us a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. So Lord, we just commit this time to you as we take of, of the communion elements. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. The ushers will hand out the communion elements and there's two cups. You can separate them. And then we'll partake of the elements together as